Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the sun gets set to shine. Cigar heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne. Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the Phoenix Suns and the NBA. My name is Max McCauley, also known as Podcast Boy. I remember this time I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, it's been a little while. It has. We had an, another little mini break, and, and my fault again this time, spending some time over in your great country for a couple of weeks, Max, and uh, even got to see a little... Yeah, how was it? It was good. I got to see a little bit of basketball. It was about the only fun thing that I did on the trip. It was a, a work-related trip, unfortunately, but um, saw a, a couple of games in Brooklyn, which were, were pretty good. You saw Giannis live, right? I did, and we're going to uh, discuss him a little bit later on in the episode, so that gave me a, a bit of a perspective to to that discussion although just one game but he was he was pretty breathtaking in that one game so uh, I was pretty lucky with with two good games yeah he's a pretty breathtaking player but as you said we'll get to that a little later we're going to start with a Phoenix Suns year in review seven seconds or less yep. style answer some important questions respect to each player quickly uh, while also incorporating listener questions that you all kindly provided then we're going to move on to some big picture NBA stuff we're going to talk about the MVP race and Mr. Antetokounmpo versus yep. Harden uh, and then we're going to go into the playoffs, talk about some contenders, pretenders, dark horses. Because, David, this, I think this is going to be the last time we have an opportunity to speak before the playoffs starts. Maybe not, but I, I think it's so. It's right on our doorstep. There's only uh, two Phoenix Suns games left, and I'm kind of looking forward to watching some other basketball for a little while. I'm always a little bit sad because the break is, is so long between seasons, particularly when you uh, barrack for a team that doesn't make the playoffs max but uh yeah i'm looking forward to watching some some other competitive basketball for now yeah so am i i'm also looking forward to the sun's uh, hypotheticals becoming realities it's always nice to have see how the team is going to change and so we have you know that to talk yep. about and so we can get you know excited for a new season we can all get our hopes up again and hopefully not dashed <laughs> yeah we can be very positive in the off season until things actually happen so i'm sure we're going to have a lot of episodes in the off season that is full of positivities and what ifs and hypotheticals and uh, hopefully we can get a few of those right and, and they all come to fruition and we have a, a positive season next season, a, a more positive season than this one, Max, even though we're going to run through it a bit in this episode. We are, and I think it might be shockingly positive given the season we've had, but uh, <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. But first, David, would you be so kind as to provide us with a recap and a little bit of news? <laughs> it has been a while, as we said, so I'll, I'll go over it very, very quickly here because I've missed quite a few games since the last episode, but there was a loss to Chicago, Detroit, Sacramento, Utah, Washington, and Memphis, Max, before we got a win over Cleveland, 122 to 113. Another loss to Utah, sandwiched in the middle there. And then, of course, the win over the Pelicans, 133 to 126 in overtime, Max. So that makes us 19 and 61 with games to come, I believe, today when we're recording against Houston a little later. And then the one at Dallas to finish the season so I'm kind of glad I missed a lot of that Max 
<laughs> yeah, well, except for the uh, the stretch in there where Booker went, you know, insano crazy mode. That was that was fun. But other than that, yeah, there's a lot to forget. Yeah, and of course, I'm I'm a sucker, so I still went back and watched most of those on on replay in the the little bit of spare time that I did have. But um, it was it was definitely advantageous to be on your time zone for a little while and, and see some of those games at night time instead of when they are during the game for uh, during the day. Sorry for me normally, but. A question for you quickly, Max, is there's not a lot to take from those other than that Booker explosion that you spoke about, but have you taken anything else away from the last couple of weeks since we, we last recorded? Uh, I think we'll get into this a little bit later, but uh, I do think there's been a tangible change with Dragon Bender. Not going to say he's an all-star now or anything like that, but I do think <laughs> yep. he is. Uh, he has made it clear that he's going to be, I, I think, some kind of rotation player in the NBA at some point. Yep, I think we will definitely delve into him a little bit later, as you said. I'll give you a quick tank update now. We're last in the division and the conference, and equals second last in the league with Cleveland at the moment. So what does that mean? It means we're guaranteed a 14% chance at the number one pick, or Zion Williamson, if we, we want to go straight there, Max. Uh, guaranteed 52.1% chance at a top four pick. And the only difference really now with, with how the, the standings look, Max, is you know we might get a, a slightly increased odds for the fifth and sixth pick and a possibility of dropping down to seven still if we end up in that third slot rather than the second slot. So that's really all we're watching for in the tank update now, Max. Yeah, there's one thing I want to clarify because someone asked you this question. I think not everyone understands exactly how this works, which is fine because it's very mm-hmm. complicated. But they, the way it works is they draw all four of the top of the top four seeds in the in the lottery. So yes. somebody had asked me, what what about if we slip behind Cleveland and maybe we won't get Morant because they'll be in front of us if we stay put? There, it's staying put's a misnomer in this situation. No one stays put in the top four. It's all drawn. So if it ended up being that we were second and Cleveland was third in the drawing, that would be random. It wouldn't be because of where we finished. Exactly. So yeah, more lottos done this time round, and that's why you can slide all the way back to seven if you're in that three spot, because you know that's essentially saying that four teams, however unlikely that that is, that have all jumped up into those top four spots and, and slid everyone else back. But yeah, good clarify, a good clarification to make. Sorry, I should say, Max, but. You did mention a little bit of news there as well. Outside of all the injuries that we've had in the last couple of weeks, everyone seems to be dropping like flies a little bit. Uh, Woj recently dropped his bomb on the Jeff Bauer perhaps joining front office news. What did you take from that, Max? So um, initially wasn't a great reaction because uh, the people who I know, uh, shout out Duncan Smith, uh, talk about the Pistons. Uh, <laughs> yep. not, not high on him. I would say it was a fair way to put it. Yeah. Um, but when I actually read the article and it and it said he'd probably be more of like a under James Jones sort of guy, almost, seemingly a guy who was like brought into because he knows how to run a front office, really more than because he's going to be the, the the lead player evaluator or anything like that. So when yep. I saw that, that that made me a little bit less concerned. But then also in the same article, and I, I blasted this on Twitter, was the. Uh, the, the nugget in there that Larry Fitzgerald's been sitting in on these GM interviews. <laughs> yep. uh, as a Cardinals fan and an Arizona sports fan, I, I love Larry Fitzgerald. Pretty much more than any athlete ever. But uh, 
I really just don't understand why he'd be sitting in on these interviews. It's, it's really not his specialty, I wouldn't think. Yep, that was the the fun tidbit from that that Woj article for sure. I think everyone pretty much had the same reaction there, Max. But he is ex-New Orleans Hornets and ex-Detroit Pistons, as you said. Has a pretty mixed record with both of those, but nothing too uh, dramatic. I guess uh, a little bit of an upgrade on the McHale and... Paxson guys that we mentioned, I think, in our last episode. But quick shout out to at Midge Oso on Twitter and also Hoop Dreams, who basically asked questions about the front office setup before that story dropped when you uh, asked for questions for the episode from our Seven Seconds or Less Twitter account, Max. So, yeah, I think, you know, if it's a mixture of Bauer, Jones, and Buckstein all in the front office, it has the chance to be a pretty stable footing going forward, but it's gonna, you know, we're just gonna have to see how it all plays out and, and who has what roles in that front office, Max. Yeah, I agree with you. To me, after after you know, twenty four hours to to think about it and to read all the details as they came out, it, to me, at the end of the day, it's, it's just not much of a needle mover to me. Which in a lot of ways is good because you know we were scared about, as you mentioned, Mikhail or Paxson, which would have been you know very negative hires. Yep. Um, something that like this that's more neutral, uh, I guess, can be considered good news when you when you think about how this franchise operates sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, I've seen a lot of people point to the New Orleans search and and why we're not interviewing people. I think the answer is pretty clear on that one. If you if you read between the lines, I think a lot of those top assistant GMs around the league probably don't want to come to Phoenix right now. So uh, that's the situation we're at, and and they're the cards we're dealt at the moment, Max. Yeah, I agree, and I think the reason why is not necessarily so much because it's a bad situation. Uh, obviously, Phoenix has a lot of talent. I think it'd be attractive uh, if if you had if basically if you had you know full control of the front office, which is mm-hmm. probably what's being offered in those situations. I think that the offer from uh, Sarver has, it seems pretty clear. It is you're going to come in here and basically be like a day to day manager guy. You're not going to have full control. That's going to be. Uh, you know, depending on how uh, skeptical you are, it's either going to be James Jones or Robert Sarver who has full control. Um, <laughs> yep. But it's not the people who they're interviewing now, which I think is why you're not seeing some of those hotter names uh, come in here. Exactly. But I think that's enough on that for now, Max. So we can move on to the the main part of the episode now. Let's do it. So, I, I, like we said, we're gonna we're gonna go through some rapid fire questions on on the roster here. Uh, I like the way you've grouped these guys, David, in our outline here. So. The, f- the first group of players is going to be the timeline, you've called it, which I think is the perfect way to put it, because this is sort of our, our initial youth push. So it's going to be Booker, TJ Warren, Josh Jackson, and Dragon Bender. Yep. So let's start with Mr. Devin Booker. So two of these questions are going to be the same throughout. We're going to ask for uh, the player's grade for the season, and then mm-hmm. also the most memorable moment for the player, uh, whether it be good or bad. Uh, <laughs> yes. So let's start with Devin Booker, and I'll, I'll let you go first. I'm giving Devin Booker an A on the season, Max, and and that basically becomes the benchmark of of how the rest of the grades for all the other 14 guys kind of grade out from here because uh, he was the top dog for me and um, probably my most memorable moment, if I throw to that straight away, was that Golden State game where he had 37, 8, and 11 because he led the team to a W. Uh, he's obviously had those games more recently, uh, the big scoring games, but that one stands out to me just because of the challenge that was ahead of him and, and the way that that team looked in the game, Max. Yeah, I'll jump right into my memorable moment with Booker because that was an honorable mention for me. 
yep. as was op- the opening night against Dallas where he just exploded in the fourth quarter and it looked like we were going to take a leap because of him, which didn't end mm-hmm. up happening, but uh, a honorable mention. Um, for me, though, I think the most memorable thing is just going to be the scoring binge he went on, the, the 59, the 50, and then the 48. Yeah. I think that's what it's probably going to stick in my mind the most going forward, even though it maybe not have been as impactful as the Golden State thing. I just think it's going to be the thing that sticks on my mind. Yeah, uh, and then the grade. So I think this is going to be interesting, David. The way you explained your grade there, I think we did this differently. I I graded relative to my expectations for the player. I think you may have graded relative all to each other. Is that right? Uh, I I didn't when I sat down. I, I definitely I'm on the same page with you in in terms of, and you'll see when we play out kind of mm-hmm. my expectations. But yeah, I just wanted to note that uh, you know he definitely becomes the benchmark for me. But there are some guys that that push him for that grade throughout, just because of what my expectation on them were as well. Okay, fair enough. So maybe it'll be more of a case by case thing. But uh, for, mm-hmm. for Devin Booker, for me, I, I gave it an A minus. Um, I think that he showed improvement in, in most of the areas we wanted to see him show improvement in. Yep. Um, what I want to see from him, and I've made this point a hundred times, I want him to get stronger. Uh, disappointed in his body this season. I think the reason why he kept getting hurt is because he's just his body is not where it needs to be. Um, I also think that will lead to more consistent play, both as a shooter and also as a, uh, a controller of the ball and offense. I think the turnovers were a little bit high for yep. him. Um, and then also defensively, obviously, everyone knows this. I think the strength will lead to maybe hopefully better defensive consistency, which is really what keeps him as an A minus to me because you really want to see more improvement from him. That's the one thing in his career so far he really hasn't addressed. Yeah, I agree. And I, I probably just gave him the, the straight A instead of an A plus because he was pretty incredible this year just because mm-hmm. of the games that he missed, which kind of leads into your point about his body. So I think we can probably move on from Booker as saying that, you know, he, he pretty much reached or, or over exceeded our expectations on the season. It's, it certainly wasn't his fault uh, that we are currently sitting at 19 wins for the season, Max. Yep, nope, he was amazing. He's becoming an offensive superstar. Nothing to worry about there. Let's move on to TJ Warren. I'll start with my grade. Toughest one in the whole the whole uh, list for me, David. Yep. Um, I wanted to go incomplete, but that's the cop-out, so I went with a C+. Uh, the, incre- and, you know, the improved shooting was awesome, but uh, it's just... And then I, this leads right into my memorable moment. These injuries, man. This mysterious injuries where he's out for half a season on things that it doesn't seem like he should be half a season for. Uh, that's the memorable moment for me. It's what I'm going to take away from him. He just he just has these weird, nagging, mysterious injuries. Yeah, it's funny. That that didn't really... Uh, I, I wondered if this was going to happen. I'm also a C+, plus, so it's going to be interesting mm. to see how many of these grades we kind of uh, even out on. But yeah, I think you kind of... Positives there. The fact that he came with that three-point shot was something that we just didn't expect at all and therefore get some, some brownie points for that. But yeah, the game's miss for me is kind of why he winds up at a C+. Plus. And probably... Uh, the other reason he winds up there instead of, you know, maybe a, as a B or a B plus max is um, what my memorable moment comes down to. And I just think of the Toronto loss. It's the game that sticks out to me. I think after that game, we ended up talking about DeAndre Ayton a lot because the, the final bucket was scored on him by, I think, Pascal Siakam, if I remember yep. correctly. But there was some moments on offense in that game where Booker was being doubled and, and Warren was kind of the release valve, and he just missed so many opportunities to move the ball on and became a real ball stopper. And that was really the game and the moment for me where I kind of drew a line through him, despite all of his improvements, uh, being a, a kind of solid contributor in the starting lineup um, 
even though I wanted to give him that benefit of the doubt for a little while because of all the positives that he was bringing. But I think that's going to stick in my mind after this season, no matter what ends up happening with TJ. I think that was the moment where I kind of went, yeah, he can't share the court with Aiton and Booker. Yeah, that's a really good one. I had forgotten about that, but that, that's really, that, that was wise of you to bring that up. Um, I think the thing about TJ Warren to me is he, he has this package of really awesome skills. Obviously, he's an elite scorer around the rim. Uh, he has some of the most ridiculous touch, and then he even added the three-point shot this season. So he has these like a, like really, really good abilities in offense that should make him a really good player, but yep. he just doesn't put it together. He doesn't have like the, the, you know that glue that brings all these skills that he has into one package of a good basketball player. He's just kind of missing that. You do kind of know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, not to be repetitive here, Max, but we've said it for a long, long time. If he stays on the Phoenix Suns, he should be a sixth man. And, you know, generally sixth men are those guys that you're talking about that have a couple Mm -hmm. of elite skills, but just haven't been able to kind of piece it all together um, into one complete package. They're they're generally flawed in a few ways, and that's why they end up as sixth men on okay or or good teams. So, yeah, that that was it for me with, with TJ. All right, let's move on to Josh Jackson. I'm going to let you start, and I'm going to hope you can be at least a little more positive than I am. <laughs> I'm not too sure about that, Max. I, I kind of expected that you would be pretty negative on him, but it's it's hard for me not to be as well. I've given him a D plus. Um, mm-hmm. He was just so destructive for most of this year, and um, the, the moment that probably will itch in my mind is that missed fast break dunk against Houston, which was not that long ago, Max. And not to say that it's just that moment in particular, but it was kind of symptomatic of so many things that I remember from Josh Jackson throughout the season. I think he also missed the two free throws after getting a pretty bogus foul call on that play as well from, from memory. So that play kind of encapsulates two frustrating things for me. He shot 67% from the free throw line this year after, you know, being pretty reckless towards the rim and occasionally getting to the line at least, but left a lot of points on the table there. And I feel like this stat is maybe underdoing it a little bit, but he missed 15 dunks on the season, Max. (laughs) And that'll be the other thing that kind of stands out to me is just remember so many times where he could have laid the ball in and went for the flashy um, poster and, and either got blocked or, or missed the dunk entirely. Yeah, his decision-making is just so bad. In every facet of the game, he doesn't choose the correct way to finish at the rim almost ever. He doesn't choose the right routes to the rim, the right the right ways to get there a lot of times. He yep. often throws the ball to places where it's you know there's no open player there. It's often to the other team directly. Just Even when he's improving in other areas, and I think the three-point shooting is a real tangible improvement. It really is, but if he's going to be such a bad decision maker in every way, it just it doesn't matter. It just doesn't. He's going to kill you every single time. And uh, my grade is D, so we're close again. Um, yep. And really, the only reason it's a D instead of an F is because of that tangible three point shooting improvement, which I think is a good thing and a real thing. Yeah. Uh, but man, he's just too he's just too bad of a player to merit any better than that. And the fact that we took him fourth overall last year, uh, we're talking about relative expectations here. It, it's got to be a D for me, man. We. We thought maybe that, that end-of-season uh, improvement last season was, you know, promising. And then he right away went into Summer League and was just trash. And, and then, you know, and he came into this season and was trash. I, I don't know how you can have a grade that's not a D or lower given how bad he was in, in his pedigree. 
yeah, he was virtually unplayable for large stretches of the season. I'm really glad you brought up that late season stuff from him last season because I'm sure a few people listening uh, are thinking, you know, he's just come off his best game against the Pelicans. Why can't you cut him a little bit of a break? But, you know, I watched that game on replay without emotion and, you know, for a 35-point game, I thought it was, you know, a pretty run-of-the-mill game. He did some nice things. He hit some decent shots from outside and got hot from out there. But, you know, I'm going to take the larger sample size of the whole season over the last couple of games with Jackson. And there was just no defense played on either end in that that particular game against the Pelicans. So, you know, I really struggle to kind of look at that and kind of go, oh, he's turned a corner. He's going to be, you know, phenomenal because uh, there wasn't a lot of little things in that game that, that really stood out. It kind of looked like same old Josh, but just kind of got hot and was the main guy on offense there. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with you there. Um, and I gotta—I guess I'll touch on my memorable moment before we move on. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, it's it was no showing the fan meet and greet. Unfortunately, it's an off the court thing. That's funny. I, I didn't think about that one at all, Max. But that, uh, yeah, that if you're talking about one memorable moment, that that makes a lot of sense. The issue with that for me is, you know, one of the things that Josh Jackson defenders like to cite is his, uh, you know, alleged work ethic and his alleged intangibles and all that stuff. And if, if he's at the point where he's doing things like that, like he, if he's out on the team that badly, that there's really just not a whole lot of ways to defend him anymore. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, you can probably throw in those early season diaries that he was doing where we were getting a lot of excuses and things. Not to say that the excuses were wrong. I think you yeah. rightly pointed out at the time that he was probably hitting the nail on the head with a lot of those things. But it's still not a great look that they're the things that he's continually coming back to rather than just kind of working his ass off. But I think that's enough we can say on Josh and maybe move on to a slightly more positive player in Dragon Bender. Yeah, I think definitely more positive. Uh, and he's definitely the guy whose grade improved the most in the past few weeks, I'd say. Um, <laughs> yep. I'm, giving him a, I'm giving him a B-, minus because even though he's still a bad player and until recently a very bad player, uh, remember, these grades are relative. And in terms of like my expectations for him after how bad he was in Summer League and declining the option, the, the fact that he's where he is right now, especially you know we're coming off his best game of the season – that's to me is it's it's positive and it's what pushes him like above a C for me. It's funny, Max. I'm a B minus two and and writing <laughs> my my bra- writing my brackets to explain my my grade is versus expectations, which we touched mm-hmm. on at the top there. That's kind of what we're doing here, and I think no one's saying that he's been amazing, but versus the expectations, particularly out of summer league and preseason, um, you know, there's a lot to be positive about there with Dragon Bender. Um, the memorable moment for me is probably, even though he's had some better games more recently, that first Minnesota game where he got his opportunity, I think he had 12, 10, and 2, and that kind of mm. started something for me. He disappeared a little bit after that again, but that was kind of his first opportunity after, you know, really sitting on the pine for, uh, you know, lots of games to start the season. And, you know, old Bender it would have been able to kind of go, oh, well, He's been sitting on the bench. What do you expect of him? But he kind of came out firing, and and that kind of looked like a bit of an attitude shift from the player that we uh, recently knew in Dragon. Yeah, that's another good one that I had forgotten about. Uh, mine's more recent. Mine comes from last night's game, which I or not last night. Sorry, it was Friday night, the Pelicans game, uh, mm-hmm. which I think everyone would agree was his best game. Um, and for me, it was it's one moment late in the very late in the game. Uh, it was a rebound that he grabbed just extremely confidently and aggressively. 
Yep. Um, and for me, it was the first time I've ever seen him look like a forceful NBA player. Like an actual player who's like, this is my ball. I'm getting this rebound. It's mine now. No one else is having this. And that's just the, an attitude that Bender never demonstrated at any point uh, prior, as far as I could tell. Yep. He, he looked like a guy who didn't believe that he belonged out there in the first mm-hmm. three years of his career. And whether it's just maturity or whether we can credit this coaching staff a little bit here, he, he's definitely looked like a completely different player on the court and, you know, that he knows that he should be out there and, and can contribute. But let's move to our final question for the group. It's inspired by Johnny U of Angst, who wanted us to, I guess, look at every player on the roster, but I've just taken it with the first section here. I think we can take Booker out of it, but of the other three, Max, uh, give me a no or a yes in whether they're going to be on the roster to start next season. Warren, Jackson, and Bender. I think TJ Warren, I have a strong feeling the answer is no. I just don't think he belongs here, and I think it's become clear. Yeah. Uh, Josh Jackson, I think, will be, because I think it's going to be really hard to move him given that he makes $7 million And, you know, like what Low Post said, Zach Lowe, the, the league is really low on him right now. So yep. it's, I mean, I think they'd move him if they could, but I think he's going to be kind of stuck here. And then Bender, man, that's the toughest one for me. It's, it feels pretty 50-50. Uh, I, I'm going to lean towards, yes, they bring him back, but I, it's close to me. We are exactly the same again, Max, and pretty <laughs> much for the same for the same reasons. So uh, instead of repeating what you just said, we've got a couple of more listener questions that segue a little bit into both TJ and Jackson here. So we may as well jump straight into those, I think. So the first one's from uh, Dom Tesorio on Twitter, who just simply asked, who would be interested in TJ if uh, the Suns do try and get rid of him, Max? We've mentioned this a few times in the pod before, but it's going to be one of those teams that doesn't usually get a lot of great free agents, but is a contender spot and just could use some shooting and scoring off the bench. So Pacers and Jazz really jump out to me as options yep. there. Yep. I uh, wanted to, I guess, tease our, our playoff um, discussion a little bit later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. I looked purely at player playoff teams here, and I think I've said this before, but I'm just going to be looking at those teams. Maybe it's a first round out or a second round out where you know the series just went the way where they just couldn't score enough to get over the hump, and that's where a guy like TJ Warren maybe becomes attractive. So I've got Utah, and obviously Crowder and Favors we've discussed before could be players that come back the other way. Uh, OKC have really struggled offensively outside of their two top dogs, so Roberson's another guy we've mentioned before. Uh, Detroit's another one. We haven't really discussed them in the past, but with um, this rumor of Jeff Bauer, we probably need to look at them. Unfortunately, the players there don't look very attractive. It's guys like John Lua, uh, Langston Galloway, and, and probably Reggie Jackson is the other oh, one. Oh, God. We're going to have a TJ Warren, Reggie Jackson trade, aren't we? <laughs> and then Brooklyn. I think they've struggled to score at times as well, and, and Spencer Dinwiddie should be on radar if, if they re-sign um, Russell. So yeah, there's some teams for Dom and everyone out there um, that, you know, that it's not totally hopeless with TJ, but you, you're probably looking at teams that need to add another scorer, Max. All right, let's uh, move on to the next question I think we have in this section, which is uh, kind of what to make of Josh Jackson's late in the season. Again, turning it on like he did last year. Uh, this is from Evan Harding and what is that? Shine Nisito? Is that how you say yep. that? Um, uh, yep. Let's go with that. Yeah, okay. So is it harder to move on from Josh now? Slash, is it easier to find suitors? Kind of touched on this already, but I don't think people are going to buy into this after he did the same thing last year. And he's really just, you know, do, doing kind of the scoring on whatever efficiency. 
Um, I actually think, weirdly, if he played in Summer League again, it would be almost more important to see where he is there, to see if he can show some improvements with the decision-making. Yep. But generally, my answer to this question is not really. Yeah, I don't think he would have hurt his chances, but I don't think there'll be teams clamoring to get him just based off the last couple of games, as I said before. And It hasn't changed my mind on him, as I've already kind of said pretty clearly. But yeah, I do wonder, and that's why I lent to yes with Jackson staying on the roster. I, I do wonder if the team will hold on to him just because they did burn a number four pick and, and kind of hope that they can turn him around with another offseason. But that'll definitely be one to watch. But uh, it hasn't changed my mind to, to answer the question. Me neither. All right, let's move on to our next group of players here. This is the rookies. Pretty easy uh, grouping here. Yep. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw in the final question at the start because it, it applies to all of them and we, and we can uh, touch on it for each one while we go. Sounds good. And that's good. Uh, from at Mike Notham. He's great on Twitter. Uh, he asks, one thing that we think each guy should work the most on this summer to improve their games. Uh, so let's start with DeAndre Ayton. David, give me your grade, memorable moment, and then one thing you want to see him work on the most. I gave Ayton a B plus because he totally exceeded my expectations for year one. Uh, the Milwaukee game is what stands out for me guarding Giannis. I think he had 19, 12, 2, and 3 in that one. And uh, the improvement, it's its not a sexy choice. I'm, I'm sure many people are probably screaming three-pointers um, as they're listening to the pod. But uh, again, something I've touched on quite a lot in the past is uh, he needs to work on his cardio max. I think he, he topped out at around 30 minutes a game this season. Looked around at all the other, you know, true bigs, good bigs in the league, the likes of Embiid, Jokic, and Carl Towns. They're all playing more like 33, 34. And, you know, there were times where, you know, Aiton was out there where he just, you know, looked gassed as well. So I'd love to see him be able to come back and be able to play a couple more minutes a game and, and add 100% max. That's a real good one. People tend to assume that Aiton's already in the great shape because he's sort of a physical Adonis, but you're totally right. He needs to get to the point where he can stay on the court uh, for mm -hmm. longer stretches of time. Uh, you're going to laugh. My grade for DeAndre Aiton is a B plus, David. <laughs> <laughs> we seem to be on the same uh, mind track here, but a uh, memorable moment. We reference this every single podcast, at least I do. It's the Orlando overtime for me. Yeah, uh, when he really just took over defensively, uh, there were shades of that in Milwaukee as well. But I think the the levels he reached in the Orlando game were the highest he got to. Yeah, um, and and for me, it, my work on is kind of boring too. Uh, it's for me, it's just keep learning, uh, keep learning. He's on the right track. Keep up doing what you're doing. Uh, we we love what we're seeing from him as a as learning kind of how the game works as a defender. Um, he's doing the little stuff more. He was never doing it at all before, and now he's starting to do it a little more. Yeah, uh, really. The way I summarize this is, I want him next season to be the Milwaukee uh, Lakers version of Aiton almost all the time, and be the Orlando OT version of Aiton uh, more often. Yeah, yeah. I I love that you brought the Orlando game up because that says something from a mentality standpoint. Because he wasn't great in that game, but in overtime he turned it on and and kind of won us the game with that that defense that he he showed so you know that is a great example one that i definitely thought about including but um yeah you, you're right it, it, it could be a boring choice but you know the 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 tease with Aiton is let's add a three-point shot let's add this let's add that and it, you know i think what you're getting at here and kind of what i was getting at with the cardio thing is if he can actually consistently do what he was already doing this year he becomes a much more impactful player for the Suns next season and impacts towards winning. Whereas, yeah, the uh, 
the intriguing thing that people would want to do is kind of add more and more to him, but then he, you know, he's got even more to bring into his bag, and you know, maybe doesn't get significantly better at anything at the same time. Yeah, the reason why he got a B plus for me here is because he showed the kind of improvement that I was desperately hoping it from him, uh, both defensively and even towards the end of the season here, more aggressive on offense, using mm-hmm. the spin move a lot more, actually putting the ball on the floor and attacking the basket. Yep. So for me, if, if he's going to be a B plus again. It's because he's going to do all the things that he's starting to show now very consistently. That's what I want to see from him. I'm not, I'm not so much, like you said, interested in seeing him add a whole bunch of more stuff. I think eventually he'll be a three-point shooter, but I, I don't know if it necessarily needs to be right away next year. But yeah. I, what needs to be next year right away is uh, the, the improvement he's shown here. He needs to build on that and, and more consistently be the, the better version of him that he was this year. Uh, but let's move on to Mikel Bridges. Um, I'll go first here because you did eight and first. So I gave him a B. Again, this is relative expectations. I thought he had a really, really good season. And I think the only reason why it's not higher for me is the three-point shooting was not as good as I expected it to be. Yep. Um, you know, the defense probably was maybe even better than I thought it was going to be. But the, 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 the three-point shooting was really, it really killed him. Which is why the memorable moment for me was it's still that step behind the line three-point shot he had against Denver and that home win we had against them. I think Booker was out. Ooh, that's a good one. The way he just like confidently stepped behind the line just looked like a, kind of an offensive star just on that one move. And, and really it's that latent offensive upside that he has that I can't get out of my head. And, and that's what ties into what I want to see him work on this offseason is his, uh, his handle. I, I want to see him improve his ball handling because I think that there is a little bit there in terms of his uh, off-the-dribble creation, getting to the, the, the rim. Because once he's at the rim, that length, those crazy arms, he, can, he really has a lot of upside as a finisher. So I, I think I want the handle to enable that is what I would hope to see from him. Yep, you're never going to believe it, Max, but my grade for Mikhail Bridges is a B. <laughs> this is hilarious. <laughs> I think there's a lot to build on. Um, the three-point shot is my thing that I want him to work on, um, purely because, as you noted, he, he's dropped to 33% on the season. And much like the Aiton thing, if you want these guys to come back and just be contributing players to a a decent winning team next season if he just comes back kind of the college version of Mikhail with the defense that he's shown then he's a really dangerous player on the court and a super dangerous player to pair with Aiton and Booker so I just want him to I know you know as you said the tease again is to go work on the handle and a few other things and I'm sure he will but I just want him to spend the offseason coming back as a confident shooter from deep again and um, the I guess touching on your kind of extra playmaking duties, the the one that stands out for me is that um, Spurs game in February. He had 17, 6, 3, and 4 in that one. And I think I kind of spent a whole seven plays on him just showing all the different things that he did on offense in that game outside of just hitting open three-point shots. So that was the one that will stand out for me as kind of a uh, window into what Mikel might be in the future, Max. Yeah, that's a really nice one. That's that's a good one. Um, all right, let's move on to DeAnthony Melton. I'll let you uh, take the first swing at it this time. DeAnthony Melton, I gave a C plus, and that was pretty much for his defense alone, because that was kind of what was getting him on the court there, Max. And uh, I think the memorable moment, and this comes up a few times in mine, it was the huge comeback game against Sacramento. He had. 10, 4, 8, and 2 in that game and was a team-high plus 18 in the comeback win. And uh, if I jump to what he should work on in the offseason, he was below 50% around the rim 
this season, Max. And if he can just be a guy that looks a lot more confident driving to the rim and finishing around the rim, I think even on fast breaks, he hesitated that he was going to get blocked instead of, you know, realizing you've got right of way and you're kind of going to get an easy layup if you just go confidently. I think that's the one thing that he really needs to come back with next season. Yeah, so I'll start with what we agree on here, which is what he needs to work on. Uh, mine's very similar. It's just basically he needs to be able to do something inside the arc, like at <laughs> yep. sort of good level. Uh, because right now, that's that's just the glaring hole with him. Um, uh, he just needs to be able to score, particularly as a scorer. I think, and I'm going to get into this next with a memorable moment, but as a passer, he's already, I think, kind of ahead of schedule in a lot of ways. But yep. his mid-range game and his around-the-rim game, he has no floater that's consistent. He can't, like you said, finish on the rim. He, he needs something there. Uh, but memorable moment for me, the stretches right before he got hurt where he was starting to really put it together as a passer. Yep. He was making some high-level passes that really the only other guy on the team who could make those were, was Booker. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't have a particular game in mind, but there were a couple there, two or three games where he had a quarters where I think he had been like a third quarter against maybe San Antonio or somebody where he really had like a lot of good passes in a row. Um, so that, that's really stuck out to me. And then I gave him a B. I was a little higher on him than you. Again, this is relative uh, to him just being a rookie second-round point guard, basically. Uh, the defense yeah. was really good. And then, again, those stretches where he started to put it together as a passer were uh, really intriguing to me. I think I'm really hard on both Bridges and Melton because I can see what players you know they can become. I, I, I'll say it now. I think the Suns nailed the 2018 draft. Obviously, mm-hmm. Melton, they didn't draft, but got after the fact. And you know, I really think that in kind of two, three years' time, if things kind of stay continuity-wise with this team, we're going to look back on that draft as what really set up the team here with the building blocks that they needed. Because I think they really did think about what they needed around Devin Booker, and they kind of nailed these picks. So, yeah, I'm hard on those guys purely because I can see where they're going to end up, or at least hope they're going to end up, Max. Yeah, I think especially Mikel Bridges. Had we actually stayed where we were and drafted Dante DiVincenzo at the 16th overall pick, I think this draft <laughs> would be feeling kind of disastrous. But uh, yeah. getting Mikel Bridges was it was really a coup by the Suns front office. It was exactly the kind of player they needed, and he has shown already that he's going to be, I think, better than a lot of people expected, uh, especially offensively. Um, but let's go ahead and go into Elliot Koba, which is probably going to be one of the more uh, interesting guys to discuss. I have no idea where you are on him. I gave him a C. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was hard for me to grade him because, like, there were fun flashes, like my memorable moment, the, the the Clippers' first half, where he was really good offensively and like really, yeah, it was dynamic and hard to guard. Yep, just hasn't been consistent at all in any way. Like, he isn't anything well consistently. Like, if you're gonna, I'm gonna ask you right now, David, what what is like the, the number one thing you think Okobo is good at? That's a very good question, Max. Uh, I think eventually it'll be shooting, but as I've noted, mm-hmm. as the one thing he needs to to work on this offseason. He shot twenty eight percent from deep, and and that's the thing that he kind of needs to come back with next year because, uh, I, you know, we've talked about it before, and it'll come up a little bit in the next section. But you know, I see him as a six man in the NBA, and particularly with the Suns. And I gave him a C too, which is why I laughed when you gave your grade there, Max. And <laughs> I need to reiterate: we literally don't talk at all outside nope. of talking about the structure for the pod um, because we like to you know jump on and, and have natural conversations so that's why you're going to get a lot of laughs when we we keep doubling up on things but you know I'll, I'll jump to my memorable moment it kind of probably ties in with what you're saying here Max and it's not meant to be a slight on Ellie but it's actually Summer League 
all the way back mm. uh, to before the season because he looked confident. He looked like a real point guard that wanted to run the system for his coach. And I think what you touched on in terms of his inconsistency is just, you know, Igor couldn't play all of these guys and it was just impossible to get him consistent mi- minutes. But, you know, Summer League, I was really impressed with him. I was really impressed with some of the G League games that I watched of Ali Kobo. And I just think that shows where he's at right now is he can dominate those lesser tiers and and look like the player that we think we've drafted. Um, But he's just a little bit underdone for the NBA right now. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's a nice shout out to the summer league because that is probably when I was the highest on him. Uh, But I'll quickly just mention my work on for him. It's similar to Booker. It's his body. I think he gets a little overwhelmed as you sort of alluded to there. And uh, I think he just needs to get stronger and, you know, get more in the, in the shape of an NBA point guard. Uh, Real quick at Evan Harding asks, this is a good question. Do you have more faith in Melton's offense or Kobo's defense? It's a good question. I've kind of gone a Kobo here, and again, not a slight on Melton, but as I said, I see him as a six-man, so I don't think the defense is going to be a problem in the future in the NBA for Ali Okobo in, in the kind of position that I see him in, because I think he's going to be that spark plug type guy off the bench in the NBA, whether that's for the Suns or not, I'm not too sure, and he's kind of got the size and the tools and the quickness to be a good defender, so... I think Melton's O obviously needs work, but uh, the defense from Melton makes him far more useful right now. So, yeah, it's a tough question, but, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about Okobo's D, and I think his offense is going to come along as well. That's interesting. That's a different way that I answered the question, but I think that's a good way to answer is that it just doesn't matter as much that Okobo's defense isn't uh, where it should be. Yeah. Uh, and to me, it's Melton's offense just because I think he showed a little more, especially as a passer. Okobo's uh, yeah. defense was, you know, just non-existent, and maybe it gets there. But as you said, that's interesting. It may not matter. So, yeah, I, I think I agree with you while also uh, answering the question differently. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, probably I'll throw my question here because a lot of what we're talking about stems back to this. It's just really hard to keep both of these guys mm-hmm. on the roster going forward. So who stays, Max? I, I think I know your answer, but, you know, what's going to happen this offseason if one does go? Even beyond the fact that I think Milton is a better player, uh, I think he makes more sense for what this team needs. Uh, so I think it, they'll keep him. I, I mean, I don't know what they think, but I'd keep him around if I were them. Yep. Okobo was the higher pick, so might have more trade value there. Although, you know, the scary thing is with what Melton has shown, maybe he gets thrown in, in a bigger trade as a an actual prize in a deal, Max. But yeah, I think we could see Okobo dealt this summer. That's just my gut feel. But shall we jump to a quick bonus here with Igor and, and kind of grading him out, Max? Yeah, let's do it real quick here. So uh, this came from at 80 Sports Fiend, I think you pronounced that. And then also mm-hmm. Hoop Dreams. Uh, they asked us uh, about these guys, about Igor. So we're just going to do our same structure here. I gave him a B minus. Um, I think he did the, the important stuff well, developed the players. Uh, to me, the in game stuff is still a problem. The Crawford stuff's a problem. You know, I, everyone knows my problems. But uh, B minus, it's, it's still a good grade. Uh, he needs to stick around. I think, you know, he showed enough to be our guy going forward. Yep, I actually gave him a C plus. Bad hand Ooh. that he was dealt, but you know there was some in game mistakes and uh, a few problems that we kind of want to see him iron out if he gets a better roster, of course. But yeah, a good system I think, and and good development, which I kind of expected from him. So expectation wise, that's probably why I'm a little hard on him because I was probably higher than most on Eagle. But um, I think he's the right man going forward for now and. Uh, I'll just shout to the other question. Uh, one of the two asked us uh, the favorite play from Igor, and 
Uh, for me, I've harped on it a bit, and it kind of disappeared towards the end of the year. But the double drag stuff with with two screens at the top, particularly with Booker, I think that's going to be a really dangerous play going forward for this team because, um, particularly with smart players, it becomes a really hard play to defend. Yeah, that's a, that's a really nice one. I took it as just literally just one play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, mine was the uh, the miss Troy three uh, at the end of the Memphis game. Yes, I think it was, yes. Or was it the Wizards game? Was it Wizards or Memphis? I can't remember. But uh, it was it was a brilliant play, and it got a wide-open corner three from Troy Daniels, which may be the, the best shot you can possibly get with the Phoenix Suns right now. And he just, <laughs> yeah. he just missed it. All right, let's move on. Yeah, next group is you called the new guys, which makes some sense, to so the guys who joined us uh, recently. It's Kelly Oubre, uh, Tyler Johnson, and Rashawn Holmes. Let's start with Oubre. I'll let you go first. I'll, I'll rattle all three of my grades off here. I gave Oubre a B+, Johnson a B, and Holmes a B, Max. What about you? We're a, we're a little off this time, but still pretty close. I gave Ubre a solid A. I gave Tyler Johnson a B plus, and I gave Rashawn Holmes a B plus. All right, I'm a, I'm a little harsher on these guys, it seems. Yeah, and again, I think it's relative to my expectations. Uh, Kelly Ubre, obviously, there were none before the season because we didn't have him. Uh, when the trade happened, uh, you know, whatever, another wing. I didn't really expect him to totally revolutionize the Suns team in terms of energy, in terms of my watching experience. Which yep. I think is why he got an A for me, just because he just was so much better than I expected, and he was. My favorite part about the whole season, honestly, was Kelly Oubre. Uh, I'll go quickly into my memorable moment. Uh, it's the Bucks ending, maybe part because I was at the game, but when he had that, he caused that turnover on the sideline to really end the game, and then just went yep. psycho. He was so happy about it. He just went, he was totally just <laughs> uh, amped, and that's really the number one thing, really, with him is just the the shoulder moves and the head shaking, just all that. His energy is the memorable thing to me. I just I just love the guy, David. Yep, mine's very similar, but it's all the way back to that crazy Washington game. Um, mm early on in the season, which we ended up losing in the triple overtime. But uh, I kind of saw that as a window into the future, and that kind of ties in with with your Bucks example there because he stripped Beal in that game, and I think it ended up getting reviewed and overturned and back the other way, but it looked like a really important play at the time, and he was hyped against his old team, and he was given the you know NFL down the field signal whenever he causes a turnover, <laughs> and that kind of stands in my mind because all the stuff that we saw after that really kind of, you know, I saw the window in that game of the player that we were getting in Kelly. It's technically the first down signal, but you're you're an American, so we'll give you a slide on that. <laughs> Tyler Johnson, uh, we, I already said B plus. My memorable moment for him was he actually legit kind of helped Booker close out uh, against Golden State on the road. He yep. was probably the second most important player in that game, uh, and uh, I gave him a B plus. Really, the the main reason just because uh, he really stabilized us for a period of time and looked like a guy who can spot up play spot point guard minutes for us. Yeah, a, a total bummer that he went down because I would have loved mm-hmm. to have seen both him and Kelly finish out the season. Who knows how many wins we may have ended up with and, and ruined our Zion chances, maybe, Max. But, yeah, I would have loved to have seen both of those guys play out the season just because what they were bringing. Um, his first win with Phoenix against his old team in Miami. Uh, I think he had 18-5 mm-hmm. and five in that game. That was the big memorable moment for me. And it was that late pass to DeAndre Ayton. You know, after everything we'd seen early on in the year of struggling to get the ball to Ayton when he was in perfect spots, uh, Tyler just, you know, he made this precision pass. It was ballsy. It could have very much been a turnover, but it basically sealed the game. And, you know, that's kind of when I went, okay, we've got a guy we can work with here that we didn't have before. Yep, I remember that pass, and that is a great call. Holmes... Um, another, another one of those ones for me where it's not a specific moment. It's 
it, the fact that he was like when we had our worst, most depressing stretch of the season when Booker had gotten hurt early on and things were just awful. He was like the only person giving the team any sort of life at all. Yep. And that's what yep. I remember from him is when he was doing that for us. Yep. This is the same game for me uh, as Melton. That comeback versus Sacramento, I think. Aiton was was poor in that game. And uh, Holmes had 12, 4, 2, 2, and 3 blocks. So th- to me, filling out the stat sheet, that was his memorable game. And uh, he kind of played down the stretch there and, and helped the team win the game. And I think, as you said, there were some early games there where he was the life of the team before Oubre and, and Johnson came along. So that's definitely what I will remember from Rashan if he doesn't return in the purple and orange next year, Max. Trade grades real quick, David. We wanted to give, give me your trade grades for each of the trades that netted us these three players. I'm just going to say real quick, is it hard or is it easy to say that these were all A grades, Max? Um, I, the only one I didn't give an A to is the Rashawn Holmes one because they did have to give like something up and I think Jared Dudley had a good season. I, I, I didn't say it was bad, I gave it a B, but that was the only one that wasn't like a slam dunk. Uh, I gave Uber A plus and Johnson an A. That's fair enough. I, I didn't... I, I know what you say. I didn't class Dudley in that trade because he technically wasn't in the trade right. and it was just for cash. So for me, that's that's an A. But you're right. They did have to move off Dudley. So um, that probably should come into the equation. That makes that makes some sense. Yeah, and I, we don't have to overanalyze it, but uh, that's the only like, one you can even say anything slightly bad about. I think the Ubre and Tyler Johnson trades is not even really downsized to. <laughs> Yep, and for you know all the crap that we're we're getting at the moment with the front office and uh, things being in a kind of state of flux, you know, if you look at the actual transactions, it's it's hard not to say that you know this shell of a front office kind of nailed a lot of things this off season with those small transactions, Max. Yeah, we didn't even mention the Melton trade, which was an awesome trade, I think. So yeah, absolutely. Yep. Real quick, we have a couple questions here at Secret Wars Beyond asked us about if, if we end up getting uh, John Morant. Uh, should we should we make sure that he said trade for? But I, I'm going to just broaden it to acquire a mentor PG, and then uh, adding in at Conan Vegas' question because it's similar. Uh, is Tyler Johnson enough? Uh, if, if that's what we do. All I'm going to say here is Tyler Johnson could be enough, and you you don't draft Jar Morant and start him. Not in my opinion, anyway. That would be a disaster, Max. And Tyler ended up with 54 assists and 14 turnovers in his time with Phoenix in that small sample size. But the funny thing for me with Tyler when I look at him and and looking at this question, Max, is he'd actually be a great second unit partner for Jar. So if you were able to actually land a decent starting point guard uh, without cutting or stretching Tyler, putting him with Jar in the second unit would actually do a lot of the things that we saw Tyler do with Devin Booker would actually help Jar Moran in the second unit for the Suns. Yeah, that's a really good thought. I like that. Um, and I think Tyler Johnson, it's, it, I, we probably won't touch on this in this episode, but we will a lot in this offseason, is that you know if we do something huge in free agency, he's going to be uh, stretched in all likelihood, or don't probably stretch so, because yep. you kind of have to. Uh, so I think in terms of is he enough, I mean, you're always going to want to upgrade if he's your starting point guard, but he's certainly good enough to play a role on this team, no doubt. Yeah. Um, and I totally agree with you on the Morant thing. I don't, he shouldn't be the starter. I'm not against them drafting Morant per se, but he cannot start a point guard for them. Uh, you wanted to shout out Daniel at the Duarte 89 here. I don't even know what his question was because you're the one who called the question together, but I like Daniel, so I wanted to shout him out. <laughs> it was a similar question in relation to uh, the point guard next season. So, yeah, definitely just wanted to give him a shout out and all the listeners. We got a lot of questions when we asked this time around, so it was good to be able to mention everyone. 
Yeah, very appreciated. Uh, one last question on this group of players. At Cinecito, is Rashawn Holmes expendable is basically the question. The answer, in my mind, is yes. I like him a lot. He brought a lot of good things, but his skill set is not unique. And uh, their son should prioritize other things. Yeah, I'm kind of worried about his duplicity with uh, DeAndre Ayton going forward long term. I think the Suns might want to look at, you know, it was good this season with when Ayton was having bad games to be able to put uh, Holmes in. But you kind of want someone with a, a bit of a different look. And that's where Bender kind of comes in for me, Max. I think if you're looking between the two of those guys and one wants more money than the other, you know, maybe in this case, Holmes wanting more money than Bender. I think you, you've got to seriously look at maybe coming back with Bender and, and maybe even Spalding at the, the end of your bench as well. I think they've got a non-guarantee on his contract for next year. But, you know, if we're thinking about, you know, say we have around $15 million to fix the front court, um, you know, Ubre's coming back already and they've kind of dealt with point guard maybe in another way or are happy with Tyler Johnson coming back. I'm probably spending the bulk of that on a starting four and then if I'm left with two or three million, it, it's kind of Holmes or Bender who wants it and I'm not going to be kind of held at ransom there. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not the end of the world if one of them goes, so you definitely don't get hold ransom by any of them. Uh, David, there are five more players in this roster. We're running long here, so uh, I'm going to let you talk about them if you want to. Uh, I'm probably not going to say anything before we get to our questions. Yeah, I'm going to give... Uh, I'll give my grades very quickly for a few of them. Daniel's a C+, Spalding a C in the limited stuff we saw. Uh, King I gave a B because in the G League he was very, very good. Uh, Fredette, uh, an F for Fredette there, Max. <laughs> um, Probably the only one that I think I want to discuss here, to be honest, is Jamal Crawford, uh, because I'm not sure what grade you would have given him if you have, but I've actually given him a B, Max, and that's purely for his off-court stuff. I think this season could have been a real disaster without him around. Obviously, the on-court stuff's a whole nother thing, but uh, I was actually just, I was really impressed with the, the stabilizing influence he was able to have on the team overall, Max. Yeah, before I get into Crawford, I'm gonna I'm going to co-sign your other grades. I don't have anything to add there. I like the uh, F for Fredette because he was terrible. He also <laughs> prevented Booker from getting sixty points, which is annoying. He shot thirty-two percent and was zero of ten from three max. Like, what else? What else can you do? Like, you're, that's an F. Well, they sold some jerseys, so congratulations on that. Uh, Jamal Crawford, <laughs> I think that people may be surprised here. I'm going to give him a C, David. Ooh. Not enough. And the reason why, as you mentioned it, uh, he's F for his play. I'm going to give him an A for his off-court stuff. We're, we're going to go ahead and settle on a C here. All right. I like it. And shout-out to Spalding for being a Marquise Chris lookalike. And shout-out <laughs> to George King for shooting 42.9% from three on 5.1 attempts in the G League, Max. All right, real quickly, on the two players here are the only ones I think really matter, in my opinion, uh, Daniels and Crawford. Where, where do you see each of them next season? Uh, I've put OKC for Troy Daniels, just as a random like team, like we spoke about before, with maybe something going wrong in the playoffs and feeling like they didn't have enough shooting. So I don't think it'll be in Phoenix, was my point there. Uh, and I, I've got Phoenix for Crawford, and I know that's kind of dangerous. I, I'm not going to say whether it's as a player or something else, Max, but uh, if he's in the league next year, I think it'll be with Phoenix. Our answers are the exact same. I basically said Troy Daniels anywhere but here. I think he's going to be pissed off he didn't play more, as he should be. Yeah. Uh, and then Jamal Crawford, I said he'll be here. I'm just hopeful it's as a quasi-coach, either either as a coach or as a 15th quasi-coach never plays. Um, but I'll be surprised if he's not here. Yep. 
All right, let's go on to a couple more questions here. Uh, at ISO Joe, I really like this one. You can only add one of these players in free agency or by trade, an all-star power forward or just a starting level point guard. David, what do you think? We've kind of gone over this already. I think we've got a starting level point guard, even though you're you're right. You're always going to be looking to upgrade if Tyler Johnson's your starting point guard. But if that's the choice, I'm going with the all-star power forward because that's, that's a much bigger hole right now with this roster. For me, it's not even about the hole on the roster. The, the, whole, the biggest hole in the roster is the lack of talent and the lack of good players. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> yeah. taking the all-star, I'm taking the all-star every single time. I don't care what position you're telling me that I'm taking the all-star. Uh, all right, at Main Damien, at Vicious Cree had similar questions here. They sort of asked about what we do if the draft doesn't go super well, I guess. Uh, if we end up with a fourth pick, I think, was cited. Uh, do you try to package it for a star? I believe Damien Lillard was mentioned. That's not happening. Correct. But uh, how about just in general, you're the fourth pick in the draft. Do you think that's enough to get somebody useful, or is it, you know, are you okay uh, picking there? Uh, I'm, all I'm going to say is you trade it, Max. I, that comes from someone who actually really likes Jar Morant. Uh, still pretty high on RJ Barrett and uh, really likes Silk Culver as well. There's my first nickname drop for you <laughs> in the in the in the podcast, Max. But uh, I think you trade it, even though I like those guys. If the, if four's the spot you're at, you've got to look for a package, and there's always a star package as long as you haven't already traded all your high picks, because you can add that pick plus some future picks and some salary expiring salary in particular, and you can definitely always come up with a package for a star player, Max. My answer is similar. Uh, I would be trying to trade that for a meaningful player, but I'm not just trading the fourth pick in the draft just to trade it. If, yeah. I, if I don't have a real trade, then I'm I'm not adverse to taking Culver. You, you mentioned you call him Silk. Or uh, Brandon Clark's another guy who I think makes a lot of sense for this team because he should be good right away mm-hmm. and he's in a position of need. Uh, so I'm taking one of those guys if, if the offers aren't there. But uh, again, I, I agree with you, uh, especially if they end up with like, the second pick. Um, everyone's going to be yelling for Morant or RJ, and I, I'll get it. I like those guys too, but I would really be hoping for a trade for somebody like Bradley Beal or uh, Drew Holiday. Yep, we're on the same page there for sure. All right, well, that's it for the Suns part of our episode, David. Before we get into the league-wise stuff, how about a little bit of did you know? Nice and quick one for you here, Max. With us about to jump into some playoff discussions, I thought it made the most sense to talk Suns and playoffs for Did You Know this week. Mm. As we have noted quite a bit this season on this pod and in this segment, it has now been nine full seasons without a playoff appearance for the Suns. But Max, did you know the 2009-10 season was both the Suns' last playoff appearance and also Jamal Crawford's first? In fact, while the Suns extend out their playoff drought to nine seasons this year, the 18-19 season will be the first time Jamal Crawford has missed the playoffs in those same nine seasons. That's right, nine consecutive playoff appearances with Atlanta, the Clippers, and Minnesota last season, Max. So let's jump back to that 2010 playoffs. Phoenix last and Jamal's first. First test for you, Max. We're going to discuss the current MVP race very soon. Can you tell me who the MVP was in 2010? Oh, who was the MVP that year? So that's the year before LeBron left, right? Uh, or, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, man, who was the MVP that season? I cannot remember. Yeah, was it Kobe's season? No, you named him before. It was LeBron James, Max. Oh, okay, that makes sense. All right. The Defensive Player of the Year was Dwight Howard. The Rookie of the Year was Tyreek Evans. The Most Improved Player was Aaron Brooks. 
The coach of the year was Scott Brooks, and the sixth man of the year was, of course, Jamal Crawford. But on to the first round of the playoffs. The Suns, of course, won their first West matchup against Portland. But Max, which Suns shooting guard top scored in that series with 23.5 points per game on 52% shooting and 51% from three? Uh, We beat that team in six games, largely due to the fact that Jason Richardson was ridiculous. Yes. Over in the East, the Hawks went to seven games against the Bucks, where Crawford top scored with 22 points and had a team high six assists in the decider to help them advance. Now in the second round, Max, Phoenix had to play the Spurs while Atlanta had the Magic. In the West, the Suns swept the Spurs 4-0, but Max, Steve Nash had 88 points and 31 assists in those four games. The next highest assist total was eight from Goran and Hill, and the team only beat out Nash with 42 total. Wow. Over in the East, though, Max, the Hawks were swept by the Magic. Another question for you. What was higher, Jamal's points for the series or the combined loss total by the Hawks to the Magic in those four games? Uh, Just because I don't think you'd ask the question if it weren't uh, Jamal. (laughs) The Hawks lost by a combined 101 points in those four games, Max while Jamal Crawford only had 68 points on 19 of 57 shooting. My lord. So with Jamal out of the way, the Suns moved on to the conference finals over in the West. I won't dwell on it too much here, Max, but the Suns, of course, lost 4-2 to the Lakers, and therefore both Phoenix and Crawford were now out of the playoffs. So the Suns did a little better than Crawford in the playoffs, but it wouldn't be a Did You Know segment without a wild ending. So in the regular season, the Hawks and Suns took a game each. The second game was a 102-101 loss for the Suns after leading 101-99 with three seconds left and an Amari Stoudemire made free throw. So Max, what do you think happens from here? Oh, I think I remember that actually. Was that the one that was like a banked in three from Crawford? Or it was some ridiculous shot. It wasn't banked. All I'm going to say is jump on YouTube, everyone listening, and Max after the episode, and look for Jamal Crawford buzzer beater, 2010 Hawks versus Suns. It's a pretty ridiculous shot with a hand right in his face in true Jamal Crawford fashion, Max. So that's it. Let's discuss some upcoming playoff stuff now. I don't know about you, but I'm Kind of excited to say goodbye to the Suns for this season, as I said before, and hello to some exciting playoff basketball. That's so funny to bring that game up, because I obviously haven't thought about that for like a decade now, but I, <laughs> I still, I, I remembered how I feel about it, right? I, I thought it was a bank. I just remembered like the feeling of, oh my God, that was a crap shot. I can't believe we lost in that shot. <laughs> yeah, it was a tough way, to, tough way to lose in that one, and we're both showing our age a little bit again on this podcast, Max. Yep. All right. So, David, I basically demanded that we talk about the MVP race here because even though we focus <laughs> on the Suns, we are we are a league wide podcast, and I I think this is my my favorite MVP uh, argument of all time. I love this argument. I think that both James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo have incredible cases to be mm-hmm. the MVP, and I, I think that the only wrong answer here is the people out there who say that it's obviously one or the other. It's not. If you're saying that, I think you're just you're, you're just missing the point here. Uh, both of them have great uh, cases. And uh, I guess just real quick, David, what I'm going to do uh, is lay out their per 36 numbers. Because I think Good it's idea. important to do per 36 here because uh, Harden plays a lot more minutes than Giannis. Yes. So uh, his numbers actually come down when you go per 36 and Giannis's go up. So here, here's, let's go through each of them. I'll, I'll start with Harden, okay? 
Yep. James Harden averages per 36 minutes this season an absurd 35.4 points, 6.3 rebounds, 7.4 assists, 2 steals, and 0.7 blocks. Just crazy numbers. Uh, Giannis per 36, 30.3 points, 13.7 rebounds, 6.5 assists, 1.4 steals, and 1.7 blocks. So, gaudy numbers for both of them. I just like to do per 36 uh, comparison there because it kind of equalizes the stats a little bit. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think yeah, Harden's one of those rare cases where his numbers actually come down when you go to per 36 numbers, which is crazy in itself with how many minutes he's playing. But you know, this is one of those cases where I wish we could wait till after the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I know that's not right; it's a regular season award; it should be voted on after the regular season. But you're right; like this race is that tight, and for me, it could very much come down to um, seeing both guys in the playoffs with their teams and and how they perform to kind of split these two for the MVP. But, you know, we can't do that. It's probably the only awards race that is still open right now. I think you would agree with that. Mm. I think I've got Luca as the rookie of the year, Bud as the coach of the year, Williams as the sixth man, Siakam as the most improved, and Rudy Gobert as the defensive player of the year. Do you agree with all of those? Um, yeah, I think so. The only one uh, that I questioned in my mind was the Rudy Gobert Defensive Player of the Year. I think before it was Paul George for me. He's really kind of fallen off, though, here as we've gone down the stretch, yeah. so I think you're probably right. Yeah, the, the injuries kind of hurt him a little bit, but I'm going to start us off with two questions for you here, Max, and we can kind of go sure. from there. Does Milwaukee still make the playoffs without Giannis? No, I don't think so, actually. I think I think it's close. I think they're one of these borderline teams like Orlando, but I think they don't make it. And does Houston make the playoffs without James Harden? Oh, there's just no freaking way, man. They're not even close. Yeah, it's it's much wider. I actually think the Bucks would probably still make it without. I think they've got a lot of talent. Um, but Houston is a definite no. So that's kind of, you know, I think as we go through this discussion, people will see where you know we're kind of leaning here. But that's my first little mini tiebreaker here to split these two guys, Max. Yeah, I think that's really good, and that segues into something I want to talk about. So I did the first initial stats, and I want to do two more sort of overall things. One's like the narratives for each, and the other's sort of like some uh, more some deeper stats. Yeah. So you started with the narrative thing. I think the Harden has the narrative edge here just because he has like that just memorable stretch of just keeping this team alive, which is absurd. I think what it was was when they were they were like eight and seventeen at one point, or eight and fourteen. It was something like that. And after like from then to the rest of the season, Harden averaged like over forty points a game. Uh, yep. with like a, I think 10 assists a game. It's just some gaudy-ass numbers that are just ridiculous, and he really did keep them alive. They might get to the two seed, which is just you know, bonkers. So I think that whole narrative for him is gonna, it's really going to keep him alive. And then uh, for Giannis, the narrative, not as good, but still pretty good. It's just the whole, I mean, there's, they had the best record in the league. They've been the best, uh, they've been the best team in the league this year, uh, as, as a regular season team at least. Um, just uh, absurd blowing out teams constantly. I think they uh, have, every team that has had the margin of victory they've had, has gone on to win the title. I think that's something as a stat that I saw. So just that's kind of like just the landslide of the league sort of narrative for Giannis. Yep, and I think if we go into some more hard facts, I think Giannis is the best player on a 60-win team. They're probably going to win 60 games, which will be number one in the NBA, Max. And Harden is on what will end up being a sub-55-win team, of course, in the West. 
but probably will only be good for number five in the entire NBA. Harden also leads the number two offense, is the best player, and that is built around him in Houston, whereas Giannis is the leader of both the number one defense in the league, Max, and also the number four offense, whereas I think Houston's D ranks kind of mid below mid table. So again, on both sides of the ball here, I'm probably leaning Giannis. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm still so close. Um, I'm not going to reveal quite where I'm leaning yet. Cause I'm going to make my decision on this podcast and I've been going back <laughs> and forth on this. Love uh, it. I like that you, I like you brought the offensive point though. Cause this is an interesting point that I heard made on, uh, I think it was maybe the Simmons podcast or below podcast. There are some people in the league who, who almost credit what Harden's doing more because Bud's really built a system around Giannis, put the perfect players in around him. It's really at the offense is sort of like facilitates him. Whereas mm-hmm. James Harden is the offense. Like on any team in the league, James Harden could be doing what he's doing right now. He's sort of like, he is an offense onto himself. Whereas Giannis is really more just sort of built around his strengths perfectly. Does that make sense? It does. I, I don't kind of buy into it because I think even though it is ISO ball, it, it, it's still an offense. You know, we're talking about Mike D'Antoni yeah. here guy who has come up with some of the best offensive schemes in the last you know 15 20 years and he decided that he was going to build this offense around James Harden because it was their best chance at winning a title so it's still an offense even though it's very iso heavy and is very much James Harden and four guys standing around hitting open three-point shots but yeah I, I don't buy into that argument as much um, and, you know, you're right. He averages probably close to 10 more points a game than Giannis, but um, it is very much both sides of the ball argument for me. And again, that's kind of why I'm leaning Giannis here. So one defense I want to give of Harden's defense before we move on, because uh, I want to go into some stats and then my final decision, is Harden's post-defense, I think he's a 90th percentile across every player in the league as a post-defender right now. Which is really that's that's important because a lot of times that's kind of what ends up happening is the, they'll try to get a mismatch on the Harden other teams I mean and they think that like posting up a bigger player against Harden's a mismatch it isn't it isn't Harden generally up to the task and oftentimes wins those matchups Suns fans will remember when we tried to post Aiden up against him and Harden kicked his ass every single time I think <laughs> uh, he's really good post defender. He's an incredibly good post defender and, and has probably been the reason, you know, we all probably remember the really bad defensive low mm-hmm. light plays from Harden of the last couple of years. And with a player like that, it, it has allowed them to shift him around and put him on different matchups away from the ball purely because he is so good in the post. So that's kind of his saving grace on that end and, and definitely worth uh, noting there, Max. And the one other thing I'll give him credit for is he is up to two steals per game for 36. And a lot of that's because he plays a lot. But at the same time, like Booker's not doing that. He plays a lot too. Like he, that is helpful. At least he's doing something, you know? Loves loves a deflection, loves to gamble and, and get his hands in there. And again, very much down to where they play him in the defense for Houston and, and kind of what he's allowed to do and, and not, uh, you know, stand around and get some of those low-light videos that we used to see. I can't remember the last time someone pointed out one of those, Max. Maybe we'll see it in these playoffs. But um, I think it's probably time to rattle off some of those stats you're alluding to. I've got a few here, but I, I've got a sneaking suspicion you're going to run through them. Yeah, well, maybe. And then, So I'll give mine, you give yours, and then I'll, we'll finally rule. I think you've already ruled, but then I'll rule. Um <laughs> Uh, so I just wanted to give a 61.5% true shooting for Harden on his 36 points per game, which is just ridiculous. 
Uh, Giannis even ups that. He's 64.2% true shooting uh, on his 30 points for 36. So, you know, just absurd efficiency. Can we just note how absurd that true shooting percentage is given the fact that he doesn't shoot threes very well or or at (laughs) all? It's ridiculous. And in a large part, it's because of this next set I'm going to bring up, which when I saw it, my eyes popped out of my head. Uh, from zero to three feet from the rim, he shoots 77%, David. <laughs> and I, I saw that in action. I saw that in action the other week against Brooklyn Max, and he probably wasn't at his best coming back from an ankle injury, but he had a 10-minute span at the start of the fourth quarter there where he just decided he was going to win the game and get to the bench. And, uh, yeah, I saw some of those kind of classic Giannis moves where he takes the fast break, weaves around a few guys and, and dunks it in. So it, it's not surprising to to realize that he's shooting 77% at the rim. He's just unstoppable. And I think Bill Simmons is the best comp for him. He, he really comps most uh, closely to modern-day Shaq, basically. He's just an unstoppable physical force. He's like Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, there's not a lot guys can do with it. I was trying to watch Jared Dudley guard him down the stretch which was (laughs) not good again this comes back to wanting to see some things in the playoffs from both of these guys because they've absolutely dominated the regular season we saw the Suns put Aiton on Giannis we saw other teams try and put centers to um, I guess less success against Giannis it's going to be great to see both against Harden and Giannis how some of these teams try and defend them and, and take them out of the game or take their teammates out of the game maybe you let them just do what they want to do and, and take everyone else out Max yeah the old Spurs uh, Amari Stoudemire plan <laughs> yes real quick just a survey of the advanced stats I won't go into each of them but most of them favor Giannis I think RPM is the only one that favors uh, Harden mm-hmm. um, and then I'm one that really jumps out at me and I and honestly it's kind of what's swinging this for me so Harden on the court, uh, Houston is plus 5.4 points for 100 possessions. Uh, his on-off is only a plus 3.3 differential, which sh- uh, I was kind of shocked that it was that low. Yep. Uh, I-, I thought it would mattered more. Uh, Giannis is 12.3 points uh, per game better than the other team when he's on, and then his on-off differential is plus 8.8, which is really, really, really high. Uh, it really just shows you how important he is to that team. I think the narratives have really gone in Harden's favor this season, but I think when you actually break this down, I think I'm just going to give this a – you know, a 50.1% uh, lean to Giannis. That's, I think he's going to be my MVP, David. Yep, and as you've probably noted and uh, the listeners have, have heard too, I'm definitely leaning Giannis as well. I just wanted to say that these are some more old-school advanced stats here and certainly not ones that I would use to tip the scales either way, but I just wanted to use them to illustrate just how close this is. Uh, Giannis's PER on the season is 30.7. Harden's is 30.6, Max. And Giannis's win shares on the season is 14.2 and Harden is 14.8. If you go through many of these advanced stats, including box plus minus, they're kind of right there with each other on virtually all of them. And, and as you just did, it, it's not until you break down some of the more advanced, advanced numbers like on off and things like that, where you can maybe split these guys. But I've mentioned it a couple of times already. I, I won't dwell on it too much more. For me, in a race this tight, it comes down to the fact that Giannis is on the number one defense and number four offense, whereas Harden is only on the number two offense, Max. The gap between the two offenses isn't wide enough to just totally discount how much Giannis is affecting his team on the defensive end as well. Yeah, I think that's a really fair way to look at it. I think that may be a big reason why the on-off is what it is. Um, uh, Giannis is just a complete force. I think he's the, the the player who other teams most fear 
uh, when they're going up against a team just yep. because he's just completely unstoppable everywhere and, he, and he's a game wrecker on defense. And I, I, Again, I think the narratives are going towards Harden. I think Harden's going to win. Um, but I think that Giannis has been the best player in the league this year and uh, also the most valuable. David, real quick, I don't. we don't need to dwell on this. We're running a little long here. The playoff stuff, I just want to get on record with a few things here before the playoffs start. Uh, let's start with contenders. Who do you think the contenders are this year in this playoffs? I've got kind of two in each conference. I think Milwaukee and Toronto, if we're talking about the teams that can make the conference finals or should make the conference finals, I've got Milwaukee, Toronto in the East. And I've got Golden State and Houston in the West, Max. And then I've got a little tier under those. I think Philly and Indiana can both make the conference finals with a decent run. So you've got to list them as contenders if you think that. Uh, And the only one in the West, um, and it really boils down to who they get in the first round. But I I would say OKC, because of their defense and their star power, uh, should be listed as a contender in the West, Max. Interesting. We actually have a pretty different uh, list here. So I have, I have six contenders. Uh, I have Golden State and Houston out of the West. I think those are the only teams I could really see go into the... I, I look at it more as who could be in the... Who I wouldn't be surprised they were in the finals. Yep. Um, Golden State and Houston. I think Golden State prohibitive favorite, but Houston could get in there if Golden State's you know, a little bit injured or has a bad shooting series or, or whatever happens. Uh, and then in the East for me, I have four teams. I, and I think if you play these playoffs uh, like 100 times, it's a pretty close to 25% split for each of these teams. Like, I have no idea who's going to win the East, and I can't <laughs> wait to find out. But for me, Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia, and Boston, I, I, I think any of those teams could get hot and go to the finals, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm really low on Boston, which we'll get to, uh, I guess, in one of these other sections. But yeah, I guess we, we looked at this a little bit differently. I think yeah, I pretty much agree with your, your top tiers there. Um, I just think I took contenders as you know, being able to make the conference finals and kind of anything can happen from there. And I'll, I'll throw a couple of questions your way in this section, Max. Is Houston Golden State's toughest opponent throughout the whole way, even if you take in the finals? Or would you lean to one of the East teams being the, the toughest opponent that Golden State's got to get over? I think it's got, I think Houston, this is going to be a weird answer. I think Houston's probably like the second best team but in terms of a matchup for Golden State, I don't think they're the scariest one. I actually think that uh, Toronto is probably the scariest one because of uh, some of their defenders they have. Alrighty, and Toronto, kind of everything going well and at their peak. Is it them or Milwaukee to face the West? Do you think, Max? Um, this is previewing a little bit of what I'm going to say in a second, but I. Th- I think it's probably Toronto. They're the team that I feel the safest about out of all of these. I don't think they have the highest upside, but they're the one that I feel the safest about. And will Golden State be scared at all of getting OKC in the first round, Max? No, I don't think so. I think this answer would have been a lot different a, a few uh, weeks ago and certainly a couple months ago. But man, they're just OKC just kind of falling apart. I think Paul George's health has just killed them. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Dark Horses. I kind of classified this as teams that could pinch a first round, but I'll I'll be interested to see whether you've classed it any differently and and what your teams are, Max. I have uh, kind of two different sets of teams here. So one is uh, sort of the same thing as yours, uh, teams that could kind of surprise people in terms of early playoff success. And I have OKC, just a thing that's sort of rallied together. I could see them even making the conference finals. You know, they have that kind of talent. You alluded to that. Uh, and then Utah, I have two because I think Utah is going to get to play Portland, which is like a, a you know it's a blessing because of the the injury to Nurkic. Uh, so I think Utah, if say they get uh, you know past Portland and they're playing Golden State in the second round, I think uh, 
they could at least uh, give Golden State, you know, maybe a little bit of trouble. They have a great home court advantage, so they could be surprising. Uh, and then my my other look at this is Boston and Philadelphia. I think have an upside to really just like kind of put it all together and just romp through the playoffs if everything goes right. Yep. So I think if there's like a really like crazy storyline in terms of oh my god, this team's here. This team might be able to be Golden State. I think it's liable to be one of those two teams. Yeah, I think Philadelphia, I think, are the interesting one for me because if you look at kind of offensive, defensive ratings, some of the advanced numbers, it doesn't um, shed too well on Philadelphia. But, you know, everyone knows you get to the playoffs, you get to shorten rotations. They're a very top-heavy team. They could definitely go on a huge run here when they're not playing some of the lesser-knowns on their roster. So they're definitely one to watch for me. Um, I guess I'm a little bit biased here having watched Brooklyn play a couple of times um, in the last couple of weeks, but I've kind of listed them as a dark horse. They've beat Philly and Boston twice each in the regular season. I just think with their guard play, particularly against both of those teams, Philly and Boston, I think, you know, D'Lo could really light both of those teams up. Hard to see them winning four games in a seven-game series, but I think they could really push someone. And I would not want to face the LA Clippers, Max. They've got the number eight offense in the NBA, um, just no pressure going into the playoffs. Portland's another one for me that just has no pressure. That The injury is obviously going to make things really hard, but you just don't want to play those free and easy teams in a first-round matchup. And particularly for Port- Portland, that's going to be the opposite to the last couple of years where they've choked with the pressure. But Dame's just going to be able to go into this series with everyone discounting him with CJ and Nurkic out. So uh, that's going to be really interesting to watch as well. Yeah, the old Bill Simmons, if you have the best player in a series, you can win the series thing. That is really interesting. Damian Lillard could swing a, a Utah-Portland series for sure. That'd be, that'd be really fun to watch, too. Uh, the last thing I'll just work on a little bit is Boston, just because you seem lower on them than I am. I, I, I mean, they deserve to be uh, kind of hated on because of how you know mercurial they've been, how off and on they've been. But I just look at that team, what kind of the matchup they have. Horford kind of kills everybody in the East all the time. Yeah. Yep. And Kyrie obviously can he qualifies on that, could be the best player in a series uh, qualifier. So if they just can kind of click a little bit, they could they could uh, you know do some damage. Yeah, I just think they've had a really unsettled year. They could definitely click, mm-hmm. but I, I just don't like betting on teams, I guess, switching, you know, making the switch come playoff time and, and just kind of getting into uh, their groove straight away. So that's kind of why I'm really low on boss. I think they're just primed for the picking, maybe even in the first round against Indiana if things don't go quite right. So I've definitely listed them in the pretenders. And we haven't mentioned a very top team in the West here, so I'm guessing we both have Denver down in our pretenders section, Max. Yep, and it's not just us. I think this is becoming a pretty common opinion, but it's just the case that they they lack that second guy, and even their first guy, Jokic, he's not somebody who you... I, I don't know about you. I don't trust him to win. You know, if the, the Nuggets are down three with a minute to go against Houston. Like, you really think he's going to be the guy who's going to, you know, get them the bucket they need? He's not that kind of player. I don't think they have that kind of player. Jamal Murray's not there yet. It just It's hard for me to see them coming through when it matters in a close, tight playoff game. Yeah, it's really contradictory for me because they've got the sixth offense in the NBA and the 10th defense, which is quite good. And I keep bringing those numbers up for you know the MVP race and a lot of these top teams as well. But I just don't trust it right now. And if you look at the standings, there's a way that OKC Denver can be a first round matchup as well, Max. Mm. And same question again as that I threw you before with the Warriors. I think Denver would be pretty scared of OKC with Adams guarding Jokic and the star power of Russ and Paul George. 
Yeah, I think absolutely. Especially if Paul George looks more like he did a couple months ago than he does right now. If he can just get that shoulder right, I think. I mean, honestly, if, if he if if I knew it was the okay the OKC at their best level this season, I would actually favor them in that series and pick them. Yeah, that's. I'm kind of rooting for that one because that'll be a fun first round matchup to watch. All right, I have one for you. Then we can probably move on here. Uh, but this one is like probably the, the biggest surprise of this segment. Uh, my last pretender. And it's not, I don't think they're a full pretender, but it won't surprise me if this team falls apart. Oh, Milwaukee just for some reason makes me nervous, David. I don't know why. I don't know why. I think it's because they have to play Boston in the second round, assuming Boston uh, beats Indiana. And Boston's just a team that, I mean, they beat them last year with less talent. Uh, they just have kind of. I think they match up pretty well against Milwaukee. I think Horford would be a problem. I think they have the wings to. You know, no one stops Giannis, but to at least get in Giannis's way a little bit. I don't know. That's just something where oof, it, it scares me a little bit. Yeah, I I know what you say. I'm not quite as worried. Um, I just think you know we've just spent a, a whole bit gushing about Giannis and obviously when you're mm-hmm. that that reliant on a star you know the right defensive game plan in for four games can definitely turn things but I, I'm a believer I, I think the way that they've built that team I think Eric Bledsoe this year on defense is a completely different player to the one that mm-hmm. um, let Terry Rozier take over uh, last playoff so uh, I'm a believer I think even if Giannis has a relatively quiet series here or there or a game here or there I think they've got enough talent to to overcome that um, between Bledsoe and the shooting around Giannis uh, Brooke Lopez another massive pickup for them this season um, uh, yeah I'm not I'm not quite as worried but I, I do know what you're saying Real quick, I just want to be very clear. I, I still think I have a gun to my head. I would pick them to get out of the East. Uh, it's just that you know they're the best team in the East. I think that relative to that, I'm, I'm a little worried. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. You, you've been uh, very high on Giannis and Milwaukee all year, but I, I totally get what you mean with just a little bit of anxiety there. It's Utah for me. I just think mm-hmm. you know, can Donovan Mitchell do enough? I just don't think the the D will be enough. Maybe first round will be okay, but the the further they advance, I just don't think their strong defense is going to hold up. Uh, the defense might hold up, but they're just not going to be able to score enough. I just think they're far too predictable. They don't have enough options, and um, teams will clamp down on Donovan Mitchell, and, and they won't be able to score enough in a seven-game series. So they're, they're the big worry for me. I just I could see them getting bounced in the first round and or definitely the second, Max. We're going to learn a lot about Donovan Mitchell, aren't we? Like He's going to matter so much. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for our playoff segment, David. I believe you have a quick seven seconds or less for me, though, don't you? Yeah, I threw in a few of our last listener questions just to kind of uh, give a shout-out to pretty much everyone that took the time to, to throw them our way because we always appreciate that. So um, everyone knows the rules by now that are listening, so I'll just jump straight into them. Ben Adam on Twitter. He's a great follow. Everyone should get around him it's at ben adam 11 uh, very early wins prediction for next year max there's so much that needs to happen but go on throw out a number for us i can just throw a dart at a board on this one but uh you know what i'm gonna say i'm gonna say 32 i believe in devin booker and deandre Ayton and mikhail burgess i think and uber too if they bring him back i think they finally have like a real consistency that they've never had going from one season to another so i, I do think they're going to make an improvement yeah, I'm not going to make a prediction other than to say somewhere between 32 and 35 would be a really great year and something to build on finally. The, I guess mm-hmm. the year that we were hoping to have this year. Uh, our good friend Kellen Olsen threw a very interesting question our way, Max, for number two. Rate the best three point guards since Bledsoe. 
And he's and he also clarified that we can't pick Devin Booker, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, I ranked this number one: Tyler Johnson, number two: DeAnthony Melton, and number three: Shaq Harrison. Honorable mention: Mike James. Even though he probably deserves to be on the list, I just hate his game. So. All right, so for number three, we'll throw to something quickly here. I'll shorten it for you, Max, but Patrick Stewart on Twitter, who's at ProfX underscore Suns. What was the, you know, give us one moment from the season that should inspire hope going into next season, Max. Um, For me, it's, again, not so much a moment, but a stretch of game. It's got to be that stretch in early March when uh, they beat Milwaukee, they beat the Lakers with LeBron when they were trying, they beat Golden State on the road. Uh, it was clicking. The player, like Ubre really got, uh, filled in as a second scorer. Tyler Johnson had finally solidified the point guard position. And I, I think the fact that we saw this team finally look like a real NBA team when they got real NBA players in playing minutes for them, uh, it should inspire some confidence that there's not something fundamentally wrong with this team. It's just that they haven't had good enough players, David. Yep, and I think, you know, to build off of that, I think it shows that the the building blocks that they do have, it's quite easy to get the right pieces around them and put a competitive team on the floor. So small sample size alert, but for us who'd like to take the, the glass half full approach, I think that's definitely the stretch of the season we should be looking at as, as how the, the team can come back and be a decent team next season, Max. All right, we went way long here. David's got to go to work. So I'll just quickly say, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps out, and we really appreciate it. David, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Max, and thanks to everyone that listens to these very long podcasts. So we, we try and go a little bit longer when we've missed a couple of weeks, and you can even break it up over a few sessions yourself. But I'm excited to do some more dedicated off-season episodes as well. So we'll definitely be back throughout the off-season talking about the draft and free agency and everything else in between, Max. And if you're mad about the length of the podcast, uh, feel free to tweet David, and he will uh, mail you your money back. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.